Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by Stacey Patton. We are here to discuss probably more where the, some big picture questions with the Knicks rather than I don't know anyone who wants to dwell more on the Milwaukee game. We'll get into it somewhat, but it, it wasn't the kind of loss that I felt like you learned a lot from. I just felt like that was the kind of loss that you tie up in a hefty bag and leave on the side of the road and keep driving and just move on with your life. Um, Stacey, how are you doing? What's new with you? Not too much. Uh, happy December. It's still, uh, mm-hmm. I was able to go outside and play basketball this weekend. So yeah. anytime you get a December day like that in New York is a, uh, a day to be cherished yeah we've got a week coming up upstate here with temperatures way above normal 50s 60s um it'll be nice but i am still holding out for some christmas snow if only so i don't have to hear my daughter complain about there not being christmas snow so on to the knicks um these are not good times in nick nation um there's a lot going on for a team that doesn't really seem to have a lot going on with it. Um, I want to start with a, a question that you raised when we were talking before this, because I think the Milwaukee game, I think, really highlights it. Like, the Knicks came into that game, they were missing R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin to COVID protocols. Alec Burks was attending the delivery of his baby. Congratulations to the Burks. Um, I don't... I certainly... What's that? The Burkses? The, the, Bur- the Burkses is... is um, the, Bur- the Burkai, the Berkshires. I don't think that anyone. So I don't. I don't know how many people thought yesterday the Knicks were realistically going to defeat Milwaukee. But I think if you had said before the game, Quentin Grimes is going to have twenty-seven points, and Kevin Knox is going to have, I think, eighteen, and that won't. That's not going to come in garbage time. That's going to come like during the first three quarters. I don't think you would think it was a game where they really just never contended. They were down double digits after the first, and it didn't really get any better. The The run they made in the third just got it from 20-something down to nine. But you made a good point before um, we started recording, which was we're about a third of the way into the season now. Right now, the Knicks are on a pace to win 36, 37 games. Um, is it time to reevaluate? what we think of this team and what we hope for this team this year, either in terms of what they pursue as far as seeding and accomplishment in the playoffs, or in terms of how close are we to the point of no, like the best thing for this team is not to maximize this group. The best thing is to just take a step back and build a little bit more for the future. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think the, the extreme versions are, Okay, time to fire up Tankathon again, right? Um, and then on the other end, it's well, no, this is our last chance, and we need to, you know, trade a bunch of guys and try to win now with Randall. Um, but I think it it is, you know, uh, you know, we we talked about this earlier today a little bit on on Pause Strickland, but it's worth noting that there are a single digit, no, not single. You could probably count on one hand the number so single digit i guess right? um <laughs> you can count on one hand the number of teams that are actively bad um that's probably why oklahoma city is so noteworthy but even a team like orlando is is fighting and has some young players like i don't know that they're actively tanking so much as they just happen to be inexperienced um and any of like detroit right but there's really that is a space where um you know the nba has tried to flatten the lottery odds and teams have responded but that is, for once in a long time, the Knicks have been bad and quote-unquote intentionally or unintentionally tanking um, for many years um, when it seemed like there was a lot of competition in that space. Uh, and now that space is less saturated. And even though, I mean, we're down on the Knicks in terms of losing games, but this is still a much more talented team than any team before last year going back to probably 2013. Uh, it's just a much more there. Th- this team, even as is, even with all their flaws, probably makes the playoffs, you know, in, in a few seasons there. Um, and this season, it, it looks a lot more daunting because there's just everyone is, is competing and talented and it's a flat league. Um, so it, it begs the question, you know, um, should they be looking to 
acquire assets? Should they be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline, right? Um, I think there are moves that can kind of hit on both. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But, um, you know, the, the biggest question around that is, you know, is Julius Randle, um, you know, I've, I've, I really like Julius Randle. He is a player I'll remember for a long time. I'm, I'm not trying to, I, I think he plays really hard. I think there's been articles written about the fact that to the extent he's struggling, it's not from being bullheaded. It is, he is trying to change his game. He's taking fewer mid-range shots. Um, you know, his effort on defense when he's upset about a call has waned but it hasn't been a lack of caring or something like that, or those kind of things. He's in a little bit of a funk, but I think overall, can you build your roster? The guys that are bigs, the thing is this, right? He's not really a big, um, but the guys who are bigs that are, you know, the primary creator are Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, um, you know, even a guy like Savonis, it's not really leading them to contention, right? So those guys, the threshold to like, you have to be your feel, your shot making ability, like everything has to be elite, right? Uh, even even Embiid is not known as a great passer, but he's probably a little bit better at reading the defense than than Randall. And Jokic is just on another level. And then if you look at the wings, like you just have to be unguardable one on one. And Randall isn't quite that, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Le- Kawhi Leonard level <laughs> on offense as a creator, like where he's just too fast and too strong for basically anyone. And he's not Jokic where he can see three, four moves ahead of the defense. So the question then becomes, you know, this is kind of who the Knicks are, you know, for better or worse. I don't know that even injecting Rose or trading for an upgraded point guard is going to transform their offense. They seem to be a team that's going to play through Randall. And that puts a bit of a ceiling on your team. And so uh, at that point, like, how do you move forward with him? Uh, And is, is kind of, I think before the season, the thought was, let's just get, take another step continue to develop young guys, see where we are. And that might be something to consider. I think the move that can kind of play for both the future and now would be trading for someone like Miles Turner, where on the one hand, he's only 25. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still growing. Um, you know, he has another year after this year, but he's not on a huge contract. You can definitely reevaluate. Uh, and he should have more trade value ostensibly than a draft pick or something. But on the other hand, he also fits well with Julius and can help the team now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes those moves that help you delay decisions and kind of you know that it's going to work out for one of your directions can be good. Um, but I think that that's, it's worth evaluating because uh, the reality is it's a competitive East. Um, and I don't even know that the Knicks have underachieved so much as uh, it's just tough to see them. I mean, I think we would have been fine with a six seed, but right now a play-in looks in jeopardy. And if that's the case... You might want to start thinking about, you know, securing a higher draft pick, acquiring assets, and and playing for next season. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And I know that you've been a fan for a long time. This has been frustrating for all of us, especially after last year. To now go back to that, you know, dark space is less than ideal. But, um, you know, yeah, less than ideal is a, is a good way of putting it so far. Um, I don't know right now. It's weird because there's so many things going wrong with this team. I wrote about it today in a piece for the Strickland um, on the Patreon site. Like, there's something going wrong almost everywhere. Like from before this, like last season was this this dream ride where almost everybody had a career year or was unexpectedly good. Other than I would say Alfred Payton, everybody Mitchell Robinson had his best year. Randall had a career year. Barrett had his best year, you know, and even people they've let go like Reggie Bullock is, is not doing well in Dallas this year, like at all. Um, Alfred Payton barely plays obviously on a much better team, but like with everything going wrong with the Knicks and Randall's shooting and uncertainty, I think is a, a big part of what's going on. I don't know at this point I might be excessively, I don't know patient or stupid or something but i don't know how much of it are people that i i don't know how much i'm upset at anyone i don't know how many things that are happening am i bothered by someone so for example the centers have been to me the biggest disappointment of the season by far and for a defense predicated on you have to stop people at the rim and and i think you mentioned this earlier um you know the knicks right now are number two in the league at um opponent shooting percentage i think it's is a percentage of baskets in the paint? No, um, it's shooting percentage at the rim. They have a lot of yeah. baskets 
at the rim, but once you go there, you just have a um, you just have a um, they they are tougher to score on. But yeah, they get the teams get there a lot. So the numbers look fine, but like when you watch the games, like you're saying, they're giving up more points at the rim. I think this year than they did last year. They're getting killed every other game by some rando from three point range. But Mitchell Robinson is still, I think, working his way into conditioning from adding on a ton of muscle. Uh, nobody told him to stop lifting. Like obviously, Beefy Mitch turned a lot of people on. I, I, I assume the team knew what he was doing. He's not playing well, but it's not like when I see Mitch looking gassed, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because I think he's gassed because he's however many pounds heavier. He's not used to carrying that. Randall's not trying to shoot poorly. Like, and I agree with you. Like he certainly has, I, I don't like his body language a lot. I especially don't like how often you will see him publicly displeased with a teammate. Um, when something goes wrong on defense, like he does not hide it and you can call it communication, whatever. But you know, Kemba Walker didn't get benched because he's an a-hole. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that move, but, you know, Fournier's not... No, There's no one that I'm looking at and I'm thinking, you're the problem. Like, you're what's going wrong with this team. So, with Randall, I think I'd be more down on Randall if I thought that the failure was coming from Randall being a ball hog. Um, but he's not. The problem with Randall, if anything, is I think he looks to pass too much. Um, in the piece that I wrote about today at the Strickland, if you look at the shot profile of the starters from last season until this season, Randall and Barrett are both down. Randall down more than anybody. The center spot's getting an almost identical number of looks. It's The difference is Fournier is getting way more shots than Burks did. Um, I mean, sorry, than Bullock did last year. And there's a few more shots coming from particularly Burks as a starter than Peyton. So I feel like the wrong people are taking fewer shots in Randall and Barrett, probably because they're trying to acclimate new people. The new people are trying to acclimate themselves by doing what they were brought in to do. They're just not doing it as well. Um, It's hard to watch because I feel like, I mean, did people underestimate the, the defensive difference between, Kemba, whoever, and Fournier versus Peyton Bullock, because we all knew, okay, they're not, they're probably not as good. But did we did we underestimate the fit? Did we underestimate the players themselves? Is it is it still too early again to say like twenty seven games is maybe not at this point? Last year they had the same record, twenty seven games in. I'm pretty sure they were twelve and fifteen. Is it yeah? Is it still too early, or do you think we have enough evidence now that like clearly some of the moves have to be said like Leon Rose messed up maybe? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a couple of things I'll add there. Uh, no, I I, um, I have people have known that I was very much an advocate for starting Manuel quickly last year. Um, I also thought Alec Burks was a better player than Reggie Bullock, even though I didn't have a problem with Bullock starting. But I would have started. I, I, to put it shortly, I don't think that losing Payton and Bullock is the defense is responsible for the defensive shortcomings. Um, if you look at the Knicks, so the biggest thing I'll talk about is um, the first thing I'll talk about in terms of the defense. So they're doing they're following pretty much the same formula as last year. Last year, Tibbs wanted them to close out hard, funnel attempts to the rim, and help heavy, and then um, and then scramble out for shooters. They were willing to live out. They're willing to live with a lot of three point, uh, live with a lot of three point attempts, and they're willing to live with a lot of drives, and it worked because they were a decent rebounding team. It was very tough for opponents to score at the rim, and they had a little bit of three point luck, um, and so that formula took them to an elite defense. All of those things have gotten a little bit worse. You did say that they were sec- they're second in the league in field goal percentage it's against this year at the rim, but last year they were first. Uh, this year they're sixth in attempts at the rim. Last year, they were eighth. Um, sorry, so they gave up the sixth most. They're giving up slightly more attempts at the rim. Um, they're giving up, not only are they giving up more threes, but more of them are assisted this year. Again, both of those numbers were not good last year for them, but they've gotten worse. So it was a little bit teetering on this edge. Uh, it was a very specific formula. And while that means there's a, a lot of small gains that could have a big impact, the reality is 
those small declines have had a big impact. And I think the biggest the biggest driver of that is really the center play, as you mentioned, uh, particularly rebounding. Um, so yeah. Mitch played 31 games last year. And um, when Mitchell Robinson was on the floor, the Knicks rebounded 79% of defensive rebounding chances. So that would have been first in the league. Hmm. With him off, they were 73%. That's pretty bad. And that's where they are now with him or on or off. His defensive rebounding has gotten significant. That You can talk about his perimeter defense, uh, you know, he's not blocking shots from three anymore. Uh, he's not doing those things, and he's really struggling to contain penetrators. Um, but the rebounding is the biggest noticeable dive. Um, last year, Taj was a solid defensive rebounder. He's just not playing this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing is they're just they, the transition defense is very poor. Um, so all of those things have added up more. And I think that that is more, again, I would put that more on the center's than anything else there's probably some miscommunication aspects that have to do with new faces but i didn't think there are plenty of times that alfred payton was jogging back on defense last year uh there were plenty of times where reggie bullock would just was just not physically capable of defending a player um i do think bullock to fournier is a defensive downgrade but what i'll add on top of that is the flip side of that is um you know this comes back to, you know, not to harp on it, but Randall, right? Like Fournier is good in a wide open offense where he can run around, um, you know, play in, in a lot of space. Um, you know, you handle the ball. He doesn't have to blow by guys. There's motion. Right. He can shoot off movement. But really in a Randall-centric offense, you're mostly asked to <clears throat> stand still and either take a three or close out in a straight line and finish. And that's like, he's a good finisher and he can drive, but he's better again in more motion. If all you're going to do is ask him to hit catch and shoot open threes, Reggie could do that. And he was a better defender. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where like, we're just not getting as much out of this Fournier move as we would like. I do think playing him on the bench, if you play him, there's like the difference um, he has his net rating is much better, better with Rose, but that's true for everyone. But right, yeah. uh, just from a feelings ball perspective, I, you have to think someone who plays Fournier style. If you talk about playing him next to, I like Alec Burks a lot, but he is more of an ISO guy. Yeah. You play him next to Randall, who's more of a I'm going to hold the ball, read the defense, and we're going to slow the ball down. There's no seem playing him next to Burks and Randall versus playing him next to Derek Rose versus playing him next to the Energizer Bunny Obi Toppin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think moving Fournier to the bench would help that. And then the last thing I'll say to your point, the big difference between <coughs> being 12 and 15 last year and 12 and 15 this year, aside from the um, aside from the expectations, is that um, some would say he's the Knicks' best player. I will say he's the Knicks' second best player. He was added in February of last year, and that's Derek Rose. And uh, if we don't add him, the Knicks are probably a play-in team at best in a worse East. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why that doesn't necessarily give me a whole lot of comfort. But on the, but I will say this, the last point on the defense, another reason why I don't really think it's so much just Alfred Payton and Bullock as much as the centers not playing as well, is that if you... We've made, you can call them downgrades, but Kemba's out of the Kemba is out, and the defense is still bad. Mm-hmm. And Burks is a I would say Burks is pretty close to Alfred Payton as a defender. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at Alec Burks, Emmanuel Quickly, um, both of those guys, and and Obi Toppin, those are three guys who are seeing you know somewhat significant minutes. All three have significantly improved their defense. I would say. Um, Obi still has lapses. He struggles with, you know, getting around screens and that kind of thing, but his effort and his efficacy and his ability to hold up, uh, and everything pretty much besides the defensive glass has improved. IQ has gone from somebody who used to get bullied all the time to maybe the Knicks best point of attack defender. Hmm. Um, and Alec Burks was, would fall asleep all the time. He's become a pretty good off ball defender. Really the only problem I had with Alec Burks on defense is that like, he's not someone you want guarding super quick guards, like. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook or something, but he's, um, you know, or, or, you know, Ish Smith, Clyde favorite, whatever. Right. Um, that, and he's not a great rebounder. He misses box outs, but overall I would say he's, a, he's an upgrade on. So I think that you had those three guys improve on defense. I really think that the perimeter defense is probably a little bit worse than last year, but that's not the key, main thing. The main thing, as you, as you mentioned is, 
uh, is the bigs. And uh, fair or unfair, I put that mostly on Mitchell Robinson because I think Nerlens Noel has been hurt, but he's also like we knew who he was. He wasn't going to be a good rebounder, but he can defend on the perimeter. He's a good bench big. But now you're taking a bunch of minutes that were either going to him or going to Todd Gibson, and you're giving them to a player who last year you were fine giving them to, but now is a poor rebounder uh, who who does not help stave off that penetration that you were giving up last year anyway, um, and just gets gassed very quickly. Mm. So, um, but yeah, the TLDR is I'm the two main takeaways are. I'm not putting it so much on the new on defensive downgrades in terms of personnel um, beyond like just communication and adjustment. And the other one is that the the play from the bigs has declined severely. And I would put the majority of that on Mitchell Robinson. Do you think because of the nature of, of, of some of what may be causing the bigs to struggle that that's something they could turn around this year? There's three and a half months left in the season if Mitch gets into better shape, Noel has been banged up even when he's played. Um, but you know, his, his block percentage is down from, I think about was over 8% last year. Now it's like five and his turnovers implausibly have somehow risen by 25%. He was 20% last year, which was insane. And this year he's 25, um, but he's not healthy. Um, and I, I don't, I think they got everything you, again, Noel was one of those guys last season who, you got everything you could have possibly hoped for from that signing, um, particularly because he was signed to be a bench big. I don't think he's physically cut out to play starting center for 82 games a year. He never has in his career. He's barely played over 70 games. Um, he never plays major minutes since he first got drafted. But do you think that's something that can turn around? Or do you watch these games and feel like the the center's issues are more than simply... Um, What's the term? Like these problems are not just current. These are, you know, the 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 center, the Knicks. Let me put it to you this way: Is the Knicks center of the future on the roster right now? Yeah, I, I think that's a tough question to answer. Um, I think, yeah, can can Mitch get into shape? Is the sixty four thousand dollar question? Can that be answered before the season spirals out of control, or they need to make a decision on trading for Miles Turner? that one, Eileen, no. So that may be a moot point at this point. Um, I, I think it's possible. I've seen I've seen Mitchell Robinson play great. I've seen him play great after the game he got benched. Afterwards, he only played 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that has been less talked about, uh, but I just hinted at it, uh, I don't think Todd Gibson is the same player he was last year, yeah. um, which is, a, I mean, he's 37 years old. People mentioned that he had the kid I don't even know if that's... I mean, father time comes for everyone. Uh, but last year, again, the Knicks rebounded 76% of missed field goals on the defensive end with him in. This year, that's down to about 73. Um, mm-hmm. Again, when you allow so many attempts at the rim, that's the difference between making that formula work and not making it work. We know Noel is not a, Noel is not a good rebounder, and we know that Mitch has not been a good rebounder this year, and you can't just fall... Like, Taj's reliability in those stances mm-hmm. is also gone. Um, so that, so then is the Knicks center of the future comes down to, can Mitch get into shape? Are the Knicks willing to pay to find out if he's willing to get in shape this off season? Um, or it comes down to Jericho Sims and it seems like besides emergency situations, Tibbs is unwilling to do that. Um, so, you know, we'll see when, if, and when he's ready, if he gets another shot, I've been generally impressed with him when and the numbers bear it out that he's been their best big in limited minutes. Uh, and then, of course, the other question would be, would you be willing to try more Obi and Randall? But for as much as we love those lineups, they have struggled on the glass. So mm-hmm. um, is if you put a gun to my head and asked me, I, I have to say no. Um, because And you hate to bring this. I try to stay away from this stuff, but I haven't really liked Mitch's responses. Um, he posted. Are you not a fan of daily game. postings of your plus minus on Instagram? <laughs> Yeah, and and you compare it to someone like Miles Turner. There was that interview, right, where Miles Turner said, "I believe I'm bigger, ready for a bigger role." But if you read the whole thing, it was a very mature thing. Yes, like people it said, was. well, he just said he loves being an indie, and he wants to stay there. But how could he? Like, but he wasn't really complaining. He was just very. He was giving a very. It seems like someone with perspective and maturity speaking about the role, speaking about their confidence and what they believe they can do. They didn't blame Sabonis. He didn't blame the Pacers, and he asked for a trade. 
Uh, and he did acknowledge that he's in trade rumors all the time. That's not his fault. And uh, frankly, to steer away from that would seem more disingenuous than anything else. So you compare that kind of response to what we've seen from Mitch, which is, uh, you know, at times he's like, okay, I just got to work harder. And then at other times he's like, you know, indignant or whatever. It seems, and that's the thing. I think that with Mitch, it's not a lack of caring. It's not a lack of motor. Um, but maturity and and that seems like a political link thing you think of immaturity with players you think of like michael beasley showing up to the nba camp with like a pound of weed or whatever right <laughs> or you think about like um jr just talking about how he used to like wild out on the road and stuff yes that's not it with mitch it's just the emotional ability to handle adversity mm-hmm. um everything from a foul call that doesn't go to your way to um, you know, instead of getting having an emotional reaction to like not playing well, putting it in perspective, this is what I need to focus on. This is what I. It just seems like that's a bit of a gap, and it's sad because um, clearly he wants to do well. But um, right now, I think that there's been a lot of reports around that. Um, you know, you've seen the Knicks did not extend him in the off season. I think those are question marks, and ultimately, um, you know, if I had to answer your question, I would say he's not it. I don't know enough about Jericho Sims to say whether he is. Right. But uh, I'd have to answer your question with no. And it's sad because I earlier this year I would have said hell yes, but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the sixty-four thousand dollar question is literally going to be for Mitch's sixty-four million dollar question because the range, <laughs> yeah. the range of what he might get in a deal to me is incredible. Um, he should talk to Nerlens Noel, who passed on a deal and um, perhaps, ended up losing a lot of money. In Mitch, perhaps Mitch will sue the Players Association as well, <laughs> uh, as Noel has. Um, since you mentioned lineups with Randall and Toppin, um, I'm, I wanted to ask you, as I often do, a, a potentially unanswerable question. But it has really been on my mind a lot since since the Milwaukee game um, with Barrett not there, which is I've never been sure long term about my feelings on Randall and Barrett as a duo going forward. I, th- I think they do. I don't know that they, you've talked about, you know, one plus one equaling three. I don't, I don't always see them as those kinds of players. I feel like Randall for Randall to be his best Barrett can't be, and maybe vice versa. And I would say this season by far, and it's obviously a narrower role. If you started him and gave him 35 minutes, I don't think Toppin would be quite, where he has been but unquestionably like Toppin is probably the one Nick this season more than anyone that has impressed I have a hard time seeing future lineups with Randall I have a hard time seeing a team with Randall Toppin and Barrett getting significant minutes because it doesn't seem like a fit together because none of them are really shooters um they all do wonderful things but I keep coming around to the feeling like when the Knicks had Tyson Chandler Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony it always bothered me that they were three talented players, but you could never really fit them together. Stats' best position at that point probably was at, certainly offensively, at center, but he's not playing there because Chandler's there. Melo's best position is four, whether he wants to play it or not, but he can't play there because Stoudemire's there. Like, they, they don't really fit in with each other very well. It was, it was you know, one plus one equaling, like, one and a half instead. And when I think Toppin, Randall, Barrett, maybe mostly because of the shooting, I can't envision four years from now that trio closing out a game unless we've entered a world where Randall's playing center, which doesn't seem likely. Uh, there's maybe no way to answer this, but like I keep thinking one of these guys is going to have to get moved sooner than later because they cannot all play together. Do you think the three... Do you, can you see these three players as meaningful rotation players four years from now on the Knicks? Can you see them closing games together? No, I mean, it, realistically, at, one, at some point, it's going to be choosing between Randall and Obi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can see them situationally closing games. Um, but yeah, like I think at least two of them have to improve their shooting. Um, I, I think Randall and Barrett can be plus shooters. Um, I do think, I think Obi can too. His form looks great. Um, you know, he just, he, they're not falling and he's the reps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that stat and mellow and, uh, Chandler is a good example. And you, you look at the person who was a tweener in that it really was Stoudemire, um, who was at best on, he was best served being a four on defense and a five on offense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Julius Randle is. 
Um, he is a much better defender than Amari Stoudemire was, mm-hmm. um, which is not high praise, but um, you know he can <laughs> switch on the perimeter. He can do those things. He can kind of play the three on defense, um, but uh, you know he's kind of that tweener. Obi is a little bit in that mold as well, where he's probably best. He can play the four on offense, but he's not a great shooter. Uh, and on defense, he's kind of positionless. You just kind of have to specialize his role. Um, and then RJ is the one who has the easiest fit, right? Because he is kind of the prototype wing. He may not have the highest ceiling. I, I think his ceiling is still pretty high. But he like he can def- we know the, who he can defend, and we know what he can do on offense. Mm-hmm. So he's if you had to ask me who I would bet on being here in, in three years, it's him. And Obi and Randall, Obi, there's just a lot of wild cards in terms of his development. Like if he if his shot becomes as good as we think it could be, he could be an all star, you know, multiple times. If it doesn't pan out, he's probably more of an energy big for most of his career. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and then um, so so I would give him the second likeliest odds just because there's so much variance. But uh, I guess yeah, what that comes down to, and this, I mean, it, like. It, it really is sad to say, because especially after last season, we talked about Kemba a lot and how much that hurts to not see it pan out. But Randall is the guy who chose us. He brought, he brought the Knicks back to glory. I'm like, I really would love for to see them pair him with a point guard, pair him maybe with a guy like Miles Turner, and then add some wings and let him be the second or third option guy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what DeRozan never got in Toronto. Uh, but the reality is, I think that that's actually the analogy I would draw. Um, I think Toronto, when Masai Ujiri took over, is an interesting analog for this Knicks team because he's talked about this, how he wanted to tank when he got there. He wanted to dump players for assets. Kyle Lowry was next on his list. Um, if you remember, the, the Knicks were actually, there was pretty much a done deal. I believe it was Tim Hardaway Jr. in a first they were going to send. Yeah, um, that was the rumor. Maybe Shumpert too? It was, was Yeah, there? it was one of those two. I thought it was Shumpert and a first. Um, for Lowry, else, right? yeah, like yeah. money to, to make the deal work. And Dolan is the one I think who, at the last second, canceled it. Yeah, um, which we don't have to rehash that. But the <laughs> point is, a funny thing happened on the way to the funeral is the Raptors were good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Messiah talked about how he had to kind of roll with that. But for a while, they were in a little bit of a limbo where they performed well in the regular season, they got better every year, and then you know they were just not even close to being a match for LeBron. Um, and then two things happened. LeBron left, but ultimately the guy who had done so much to get them there had to be traded to bring in the star. Um, and the reason why he was traded and not Kyle Lowry is pretty obvious. Like, um, at least at that time, Kyle Lowry was the much more natural fit. He, and again, he had a direct position, whereas with DeRozan, he wasn't quite good enough of an offensive player to be a go-to guy or to be a quite a two or three on offense and on defense, you know, he couldn't really guard anyone. So um, I, I think the, the narrative arc of the Knicks, I think will follow something like that where eventually they might, they can recover this season. They can do better. Uh, the, the young guys can develop just like they did in Toronto. But ultimately I think Randall becomes our version of DeRozan, which wouldn't be that bad for him because I think he's going to keep getting better every year. And, and eventually the things that might limit his game now, uh, he'll end up in a place where he can uh, really leverage those the way DeRozan is doing in Chicago. But, um, you know, that's kind of my, my feeling on that. And I hope I'm wrong because it would be great to to let Julius finish the job here. Randall's situation reminds me oddly 25 years ago of a Met. Um, the Mets had been bad for years in the 90s. And in 1997, it was their first year in a, in a while where they were actually good again. They won 88 games. They were in the wild hard kind of for a while and todd hunley that year um hit like 40 home runs which at the time was a record um for a met if maybe for a catcher too and todd Hunley kept playing even late in the season injured because the mets were hanging around in this wild card race that the marlins eventually won and hunley you know finished the season he was hurt he had to have surgery by the time he got back they had traded for mike piazza they stuck hunley in the outfield which he was not an outfielder um, and he was a guy who like had done everything he could to try to, you know, bring this team back to respectability, but like, he wasn't going to be, you know, like he was Moses, like you can lead them there, but like, you don't get to go with them when they get there. And I wonder if Randall has that sort of destiny also with the Knicks where he really did have a hell of a season last year and, and brought a lot of respect to their name and 
turned a lot of things around, but it's hard to it's he seems like a very specific fit that unless they hit it in the draft or some perfect star falls into their lap who compliments him, it's hard to see it's hard for me to see it ending well. Um, which I do think is a shame because and that's a relative statement. I mean, it could still end in maybe multiple playoff appearances, but probably could. not. It could, but serious contention, right? Yeah. Um, I, I want you to help me make sense. We want to talk a little bit about the defensive profile from last season to this season, and whether you know, are we seeing the same team? Are we seeing something different? And there's a there's one statistical kind of combination that that's really throwing me off. I f- so my my eye test initially tells me like boy the Knicks are getting killed this year on three pointers like they're just really getting killed on threes in a way that they weren't last year and when I look at the team last year defensively last year the Knicks were number one in opponents three point percentage and this season as I wait for my screen to though there we go this year the Knicks are twentieth so when you say oh my god you've gone from number one to number twenty clearly okay there's the problem. But if you look at the number of threes the Knicks are making versus their opponent versus last year, the number of threes they made versus their opponent, it's basically the same both years. So even if opponents are shooting better on threes, it's not like the Knicks are getting killed behind the arc. They're basically even, which is the same thing they were last year. How do I make sense of that? Yeah, and I think I think the biggest thing there is that these aren't there's no one big change right um so i i don't know how much you would buy into this but this was you know uh, seth part now from the athletic who's been on unpod strickland a few times um somewhat enemy of nick's twitter was posting a lot last year about how um you know the three-point percentage was likely more to be fluky um than something that they were doing right uh, I think we can. De- there's probably arguments that it wasn't right that you they mm-hmm. were doing a better job of closing out. But in any case, twentieth, like there's historically you haven't seen that if a team finishes first one year, they're more likely to finish twentieth um, than they are to finish um, you know closer to first. Right? It's it's very random. Um, but I think it's just been it's the bigger issue is more that they're giving up slightly more threes more of the threes that they're giving up are assisted uh, for mm-hmm. above the break threes last year, 79% were assisted this year, 82%. Again, these are very, very small differences, but everything is just a little bit worse than last year. And it's adding up to like last year, they were, I think 13th or they were like, they were above average in turnovers this year. They're like 14th worst in turnovers on offense. Mm-hmm. So they're giving up worse possessions. Um, this year, their transition defense has been worse. And this year they're doing worse in off in rebounding. It's really it's a lot of things where you had an, you were average at enough things, uh, bad at a couple of things, but great at the most important thing, and that made up for it. But that was a precarious balance, and I think it'd be interesting to see if you're able to tilt one or two of those things back, if they can shore up the rebounding, um, or if they can reduce the rim attempts just a little bit. Maybe that's Mitch getting back into shape. Um, maybe that's replacing some Fournier minutes with quickly, um, or Grimes, uh, or both, um, you know, who knows, right. But there, the, the, the encouraging thing about that is that they're not far away from what they were last year. The three point pluck luck is probably not going to get back to anything. If anything, I think it's a little surprising that it didn't go down to 32nd because it definitely feels like everybody, (laughs) no one ever misses, Yeah. but that's life in the NBA. I mean, you give even the average players open shots, they're going to hit them. Um, but I think that, and that's why I think Tibbs, and I, I think that's why Tibbs keeps focusing on the rebounding and everyone's like, but what about the threes and all of that? But he did, I think he, he, they, you know, he looks at this stuff. They have a pretty robust analytic staff. And I think they realize that if we're even an average rebounding team, we can be decent or good. We can be a good defensive team with our, even with our shot profile, right? We don't need to make huge improvements in those categories, but we do need to clean up the glass. We can't give teams second and third opportunities. Um, and I think that is the biggest difference between this year and last year um, as well. And, and I think that, so if you do that, you play some personnel that's a little bit better at stemming off penetration. And I, I think that it's very possible that the Knicks get back up to 
um, the upper half of the the league. I think I have more f- tapes and fibs to uh, fibs. <laughs> that's a, that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> we're, we're recording very late tonight, everybody. Just so you know. Uh, no, well, that's a Freudian slip, right? I hope these are not fibs, but um, <laughs> I, I have I have more faith. I I am I have more faith in them being able to do that than shore up the defensive rebounding because I don't know that we're getting. I don't know that Taj Gibson is going to have another resurgence. And I am I am concerned about Mitch, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah. To answer your question, three pointers are a big issue, but they were last year. We were just a little bit fortunate, um, but we still had a game plan that could work in spite of that. But we're just uh, we're not holding up those other parts. And then it's it's fair to say at that point that okay, well, um, should you have this kind of a precarious strategy, and is that a Tibbs thing? I mean, what do you think? I don't know if I don't know that I'm seeing at this point adjustments and I don't know if that's admirable or not because like one of my least favorite memories of of that 2013 Nick team that was really, you know, such a a great team in so many ways was watching them get to the Indiana series and watching them try to go big against a team that and that was not their identity that season and they tried to do it and i just as big he's as big man as as mike woodson famously said so i feel like i generally want to see maybe teams can't win i like to think that like i want to see my team be who they are if you lose you lose but like have your identity have your culture go you know fall on your sword but then when they don't you're like god make an adjustment so you know i was writing about this in in a, in a piece i did last night too about the coaching um the Knicks last year, so many things maybe just fell into place that I, I don't know if I gave Thibodeau too much credit. Um, because again, for much of the season last year, we've got, we've gone over this in previous episodes, for most of last season, this team was 500-ish, even a little bit under. It's not like this isn't Pat Riley in 1992 just stepping in and like flipping a switch and everything is different. They were 500, which for them was significant. When I watch them this year, I get frustrated as a fan. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't watch a game and know while I'm watching it, like, oh, you know, why aren't the Knicks making this adjustment to their pick and roll coverage? I just feel frustrated watching them. Seemingly every other game, Pat Connaughton is killing them, or Grayson Allen is killing them, or someone who shouldn't be killing them is killing them. And my <coughs> thinking is, all right, coach, like. The, the, my my first simple thought is all right. Obviously, you're getting killed on threes. Stop worrying about the paint so much. But then, if they start going against who they are and what they've practiced and what they've been successful with, I think I still feel I'm running low on patience. But I still feel now like they earned enough capital with me last season that, especially with the bang ups, especially with them now really for the first time being affected by COVID in any sense that I I feel like I still trust Thibodeau and I still trust them enough that gun to my head 20 games from now, I think they're ahead of where they are now. Um, but that might be, that might be, that just maybe Nick fan desperation where I don't want to, I don't want to imagine this team winning 33 games and trying to figure out what comes next. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so I'm pulling it up now, right? Um, I think that in terms of their identity, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I think there's, like, again, we could live with, we have great bigs, funnel people to the bigs. If they get kickouts to open threes, we're going to do our best to close out. But as long as we clean up the glass, that math will work in our favor. But part of their identity was they got back in on transition defense last year, right? So this year, if you look at points per possession in transition, they are... Um, Sixth, sixth worst in the league. They give up 1.16 points per possession wow. uh, in transition. Um, overall, in terms of frequency, they're actually not that bad. They're actually pretty good. They're top 10 in terms of... So they don't give up a ton of transition possessions, but they're bad once it happens. Mm-hmm. They don't do a good job getting back on defense. Last year, um, last year they were actually down... Um, they were down at 1.11 points per possession in transition. They were actually one of the, they were in the top half of the league. I think it looks like they were 10th best. So that's, that's, so that's the thing. And again, you might say 0.05 points per possession. Well, that, that's, that's the difference between pretty good and really bad. Um, mm. 
and that is part of the identity, right? You have to be able to get back in transition and um, they're not doing that and they're not rebounding. And so I, I think that to your point, um, I think I would agree that, you know, you want them to be who they are. They're not going to suddenly turn into a team that uh, you know, hedges more pick and rolls or whatever. They're, you know, they're, they're going to ice ball screens. They're going to funnel to the bigs. They're going to trust that personnel. Um and it's, I mean, as much as Mitch has been worse, as much as Noel hasn't been healthy, they're still really good at that. Um, it, the bigger issue is that they're not doing the other things that they needed to do. Uh, and on the other hand, I would say, well, if you need to, if you cannot have any other weak points, how tough, like if you need to be good on transition defense, which can often be hard, if you need to, to be good on rebounding, you know, you're asking yourself to do a lot to make up for that. Is that the easiest path to success? A, the roster is what the roster is. But B, like, what's remarkable about the team last year is they were they weren't really good at any of those things. They were average at rebounding. They were decent at transition defense, but they weren't great. They were just good, you know. Like those shouldn't be hard things to ask. So that makes me think that Tibbs's philosophy and that identity shouldn't be that hard to replicate, and they're still falling short. That to me is less a Tibbs problem and more a. Um, you know, I, and so the, it might be a tips problem to the extent that guys are playing too many minutes, or he's not managing them well, or he's not mm-hmm. playing some guys more. I, I don't know, but I don't think that it, I, this season's defensive, you know, fallout isn't making me skeptical after looking at it of his formula as much as I am sometimes when I watch the games. On that level of, um, I, I feel like Tibbs will never shake the reputation that he's like this, this succubus as far as minutes who just drains his players of their energy. But uh, I found, looking at the numbers last last night, that nobody um, last year in the playoffs, everybody. I was shocked by this last year in the playoffs. Rose and Gibson were the only two players whose minutes jumped significantly at all. Randall was down. Barrett was down. Most players were a little bit down. And this season, um, who was it this year? The only person this season, I think, who's playing significantly more minutes is Toppin. Randall's down again. Barrett's down. Um, you know, for all the... So I guess that, to me, continues to add to the idea that, like, I think to, whatever the problem is, and I, I think, like you said, it's not one thing. It's not one obvious, like, we'll just change this and you're fine. But I suppose there's some relief that I don't think Thibodeau is the problem. Certainly not yet. Um, yeah, I mean, beyond beyond just is he not getting the players to play as hard? Yeah, like which you can you know we can do a whole episode on on where that responsibility starts and ends. Um, having said that, <laughs> Quentin Grimes in the game had a career game and a very limited career so far. He had 27 points. Um, couple of nice passes showed a really nice i thought um inclination for moving into space um either off of uh, penetration by guards or particularly when randall would would start to post and need a passing lane like grimes seemed to have a nice intuitive sense of how to position himself um i feel like because grimes is a rookie who had a surprisingly impressive game we're like three games away from Thibodeau benching him again so before that happens (laughs) i just want to know um, did you see anything in Grimes' performance that surprised you in in the in the game against the Bucks? Not really. Uh, I mean, in so uh, he's not going to shoot seventy percent from three. Uh, sorry, Knicks fans. Um, <laughs> uh, that is uh, that's not going to happen. But um, I think one thing that's always popped to me is how heady he is on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost and this is something that Fournier does well when he's engaged. But um, for whatever reason, it's been very sporadic. Like, as soon as Randall, you know, there was one play that stuck out. Randall gets the ball in the post. Um, Rose made a good cut to the free throw line to engage a defender. And as soon as that happened, Grimes lifted. Uh, and, you, and it was just so perfectly timed. And it sounds pretty simple. I can't do it justice. But it was just so intuitive. And he just popped up and he hit the shot. Uh, there were other times when he would just call for the ball. He has the confidence to call for the ball. He also has a very high release. Um, that is actually something that gives him an advantage, even over a guy like Quickly, who is a terrific shooter. But Grimes, if you get him the ball, someone can be in his you know six foot range. Yep. But Grimes is still open because he catches it. He yep. catches it high. He doesn't really need to dip. 
mm-hmm. and it's just up and out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that was what impressed me. And the other thing, and Air, I, I believe it was either Ariel Pacheco or um, Benji Ritholtz, or maybe both of them, really highlighted his screen navigation. Yeah. But the guy is excellent at just kind of maneuvering his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only guy who even comes close to him on, at that on the roster is, is quickly. Um, that's something that Knicks players are very bad at. That includes even RJ Barrett, yep. who, yep. Uh, who's just a little bulkier. So I don't want, I'm not using this to pile on, but it, it speaks to how special of a skill it is that Grimes is able to display that. Um, I actually thought his on ball defense in some ways was surprisingly not great. I think he still makes, uh, considering his tools and considering his motor, he's still kind of finding his way there. He reminds me a little bit of, of Frank as a rookie. Uh, where Frank would get a, like his motor was great. You could see how his tools and how quick he was, but um, you know, his technique and kind of not knowing when you can reach and those kind of things got him into foul trouble a lot. Yeah. Um, that I, I get some vibes and you know, I know that there's people who hate Frank, so I'm not, I, I'm higher on Grimes than I ever was on Frank. Um, I, I was a Frank fan, but you know, I, I do see some vibes of Grimes and rookie year Frank, which is which is fine, as mm-hmm. we've seen with Frank. Like you can become a really great defender, and I think he will be that one day. Um, but the two things that stuck out to me were the confidence and just the great feel off ball on offense, uh, as well as the screen navigation. And then as a bonus, I'll say that I actually really liked uh, his ability to put the ball on the floor. He made a couple of nice passes. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a couple passes that didn't work out, which I don't even know if they were on him or the fact that. You know, players were not used to playing with someone who's like, "Oh yeah, this is like a heady guy who can kind of <laughs> do these these kinds of things." Um, I was very impressed with Grimes. I don't. I mean, I think people are saying he needs to start and get thirty minutes, maybe pump the brakes a little bit because there are some defensive kinks that need to be worked out. Uh, he's not a great ball handler yet, but um, but that was that was very encouraging. And um, you know, for all the for all the kind of uh, you know cold water that's been poured on the Knicks this off this season. Really, all of the young guys... RJ's been sick, but he's shown some flashes of improvement, and he's just a great player. We know he's going to be fine. But it quickly, his defense has been a revelation. Mm-hmm. Obi Toppin, is everything has been a revelation. Um, but especially his defense, I'll say. His ability to put the ball on the floor, his, you know, just his feel and, like, how he sees the game. The young players are developing very well under this regime in a way that they simply didn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is probably the most encouraging thing we can take so far from this season. I think to close, we would be remiss if we did not discuss another young Nick who showed, who showed tremendous improvement in the last 24 hours, which of course is Kevin Knox. Um, (laughs) Rose from the dead um, to have his best game in a long time. Um, Just maybe by virtue of the fact that he played um, actual minutes in a game for the first time in a long time. But um, does your heart does your heart enjoy seeing Kevin Knox? Like there are rookies who are drafted, and you you realize like Frank was a guy that even when you realized or whenever you may have realized like okay whatever you thought Frank was going to be maybe that's not going to happen. But you still root for the guy. You still like you know maybe you want to see it just work out with him and your team in some capacity. I don't feel like Kevin Knox has ever had the love that. Um, Frank had that Obi's had even last season that Quickly's had. Do you give a damn about what Kevin Knox does? For forgetting even the team's fortunes, but just you as a human being with a beating heart, <laughs> do you care or no? And, and there's no there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm just curious. I think there is a right answer. And we should <laughs> unless it's someone who, you know, is engaged in off the court things that you really, you know, uh you know, abuse or something like that, right? I'm I'm gonna root for every player. I'm I'm you should root for every player in the NBA, right? Yeah. yeah. I I mean I don't I want Trey Young to be successful, right? When he doesn't play my team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as the so no, I, I of course I'd want to see Kevin Knox be successful. Um, do I want him getting minutes at the? There are player. There are people. There is a segment of Twitter that thinks Alec Burks is the worst thing that's ever happened to the New York Knicks. Is there? And should be fine. Yeah, it's it's weird, right? Like. Why are we playing Alec Burks? We should be playing Knox and the young guys, which, and like, they don't stick to one argument. They'll sometimes, so sometimes you can ask them like, do you want to tank? And then they'll be like, yeah. So why are we playing Burks? Okay. That's fine. I actually, I, I can see the logic in that. I'm not sure I agree. I'm not sure I want to tank, but I can see the logic in that. Like I, I actually, if you, if you're consistent in that, I'm fine. 
But then they'll also be like, look how much Alec Burke sucks. Why isn't Knox getting a chance? But it's like, <laughs> yes. well, which one is it, right? Like, are you? do you think Knox is going to help us win games? Um, so I, I think that, and this is probably a lot of people were also like, you know, when people wanted Frank to get a chance, they were like, he shouldn't get a chance to play over better players. Now, if you thought Alfred Payton deserved minutes over Frank, then you have to say that Burks deserves minutes over Knox. Um, so, and here's, so here's the thing with Knox. When he shoots the ball, it is gorgeous. Like, he has a gorgeous shot. Um, There's so many times when it doesn't even hit the rim. It just splashes. It's a beautiful arc. Great release. He's got the size to get it over guys. And that's something the Knicks missed. Um, He went 5 for 12, but that 12 is almost as notable as the 5 because he can get it off in a way that even a guy like Fournier, who's a very seasoned shooter, who's pretty tall himself, you know, the Knicks have so much pump fake-itis. Knox doesn't seem to have that. Um, the reasons why Knicks fans are down on him are, despite the fact that he had 18 points on 15 shots, uh, he was a team worst to minus 18. Um, he, against a team that admittedly has a, a historically good power forward, um, he was really, he had a great power forward and we played the three Middleton is pretty good too. So he was torched on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not new. He got in against Chicago, he hit a three, and then he got back cut by Caruso, and then he missed a box out and gave up an easy dunk. So besides that shooting stroke, which is gorgeous, he doesn't bring much else. And that's why even a guy like Frank, he would have these putrid numbers, and you would look at his offensive possessions and want to vomit. But overall, the team was off. Was I think Plus all three was years. always good. Yeah, he, their team was always better with him on. Yep. Partly it was because he was deployed strategically, but it's the opposite of Knox. Um, and th- that's why, and, you know, it might be a stereotype or a cliche, but, like, you can see it. The, the fans who, like, fell in love with Frank could see how he battled. They could see him, like, locking up Luka Doncic and going to the floor with him. They could see him, like, yeah. frustrating James Harden and Kyrie Irving. We haven't seen those kind of things from Knox. We've seen him rain a few threes, and that's a lot of fun. Um, but it's not the same, and and ultimately it hasn't been as conducive to the Knicks winning. And for me, what's frustrating is that the kind of mistakes he's making, um, you know, the Paul George comparisons were always probably a little bit unfair, right? Yeah. Uh, but in four years, he really like his defensive awareness, like making simple plays, uh, um, and and you've seen how much Obi has come. Like Obi was lost in many ways last year yeah. on defense. Obi has come a long way. If he's a step slow this year, it's usually not a misread. It's usually because he's being asked to do something difficult. But it's um, with Knox, he just hasn't he hasn't increased that. Um, you know, he's gained some strength, but doesn't really attack the rim a lot. Um, and so he's basically Steve Novak. Um, you know, which is fine. There's a role for that, um, but um, it's ultimately not. Uh, towards the expectations that you would have had for his, his draft slot. I mean, what are your thoughts on Knox? Do you think well, you maybe maybe you were more encouraged yesterday than I was? No, um, I was not. And I had never thought of the Novak comparison until I read, I don't know if it was you or someone, someone wrote it on, on Twitter yesterday, and I never thought of it. And I think it's a... Per- Sean Williams, Sean Poop Williams, if you're a, a, po- a posting and toasting there we go. lifer like me. Um, <laughs> do you know, do you don't know, you know about that? Poop Williams? No. Oh, so Sean Williams was a player similar to Knox. He was a six nine athletic guy who was a lottery pick, uh, and then he kind of read a little bit of a bust, and then he rediscovered himself on the Knicks. I remember him on the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. And then I think there was one posting and toasting comment. This is a deep cut, I guess. <laughs> but there was one poster who like and Sean poops from like poop p o p p o o. He meant to write popped from three again. <laughs> And poop from three again, and then Sean also had the extra e at the end of his yes, name. He did. So poop with an extra e was became his <laughs> for, for some time. Uh, I did not think we would get to Sean Williams today. Um, I, I I don't know, especially now. I guess I, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but when Novak was a Nick, I think even then the three point shot was not had not been weaponized the way that it's been now. So I think there was more room on a roster for a specialist, a guy who really did nothing else but just come in and and shoot threes. I don't know that – I wonder if the game has changed to the point that a player like Knox isn't really necessary for that. Um, Certainly not at at any kind of a meaningful salary. Um, 
or the threshold is just that much higher. Right? Yeah. It's always, you know, like it's always going to kill me. Like every draft, you know, everyone's stupid about things, but I wanted either one of the bridges like so badly, like so badly in that draft. I didn't care which one I really wanted Mikhail, but like, I didn't care. Um, and thank God that Barrett, I think is pretty solid because they drafted KP. He was gone before his contract was up. They drafted Nilakina. That didn't work as a lottery pick. They drafted Knox. That didn't work as a lottery pick. Like, thank God Barrett and Toppin have shown something um, because the Knicks were looking at a rough stretch there of lottery picks for a little while. It's Charlie Ward, right? That's we still haven't broken. Charlie that Ward is the last one. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was the Bridges and. Um, I remember I really liked Shea Gilgis Alexander out of the draft. Yep. Uh, but I, re- this is my worst draft take. I remember thinking, I get why the Knicks didn't draft him because he'll be redundant with Frank. Yes, he's exactly. Six, six <laughs> and that is probably one of the, the most inaccurate thoughts I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a base level, you can never have too many six, seven wings who can handle the ball and defend and all that. And the uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander isn't, that <laughs> oh yeah his defense has been bad and he's still a terrific player yeah so. i will uh maybe next episode i'll give you my my deep dennis smith jr terrible deep cut draft analysis of of him um where i was convinced like i was just so because the knicks were in a position and it ended up happening where Nilakina, dennis smith jr and malik monk were all available and i could not i felt like whatever happens is great because malik is basically jr smith <laughs> and Dennis Smith Jr. is Derrick Rose, but just healthier because he has like an extra ACL in his knee. And and Frank, if they draft Frank, great. Like it shows they care about defense. Like can't go wrong. I really felt like whatever they do, they can't go wrong. And a couple years later, I remember writing a piece. And I went to Basketball Reference and was I was looking at the numbers of everyone drafted in that class. I think it's 2017. And you had to go down to the 50s to find Nilakina and Dennis Smith Jr. And I think Bunk was pretty low too. Like the three guys I wanted were all right. It was them. And the only people behind them were like late second round picks who like never played in the NBA. And I was like, oh man, I missed that. Yeah, one. I mean, that was a tough draft also. I mean, I think that the, those are the guys everyone everyone said the Knicks should have taken. Dennis Smith Jr. should be a Nick, right? Just said by the king himself. Yes. Um but um but with, with everyone was saying they should take Dennis Smith Jr., but it was Donovan Mitchell that was the the <laughs> the, the diamond that slipped through, uh, and then the pick after <laughs> after Donovan Mitchell, and this is what really infuriates me because especially now that the Knicks have a Kentucky connection, there was a player from the University of Kentucky who wasn't super heralded. He was he was a standard big, undersized big, so that's never sexy anymore. And he wanted to work out for the Knicks, and the Knicks denied a workout. And then a few years later, I would love to have Adrice Bam Adebayo on the Knicks, but we passed on him too. Oh. Um, oh. But uh, but I think, I think Dennis Smith Jr. is interesting for you to bring up too, because just as you were talking about how the league has kind of evolved, right, beyond that um, where shooting is such a big part that you have to do something else now because mm-hmm. everyone has shooters. Mm-hmm. I think Dennis Smith Jr. was also a little bit of a wick victim coming in of that time where the league had kind of evolved. Marbury is probably one of the first ones, but you can talk about a guy like Terrell Brandon. Mm-hmm. And eventually it just picked up steam and you have these hyper-athletic 6'2", 6'3", guards who can get to the rim at will and play as point guards, right? And you're like, well, mm-hmm. if you're a 6'3", freak athlete. Um, but at that point, you had to do more, right? You couldn't just be that. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Dennis Smith Jr. was on the level of a Derrick Rose uh, in terms of other skills, but um, you know it kind of highlights how quickly the league moves and how these archetypes we get in our heads. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's I mean it's tough. You recall in classic Nick faction, not only did they have Marbury who fit that mold, but paired him with Steve Francis, who yeah. was another, and it, it went out of style pretty quick. It was like disco; it went out of style pretty quickly. I like Steve Francis on the Rockets. I That's loved him. Annoying. I used to think he was. I used to argue with my friend. I'm like pound for pound, he's better than Iverson because he does more things. Like he gets rebound. I I loved Steve Francis. 
I would set a soft spot for the Rockets too, because I had a I used to go to the YMCA after school when I was a kid, and I had a counselor who was a huge Rockets fan. And this was like the '90s, so they had a key. Everyone loved Hakeem, and they had those dark blue jerseys with. I guess the missile is politically incorrect now. <laughs> that the missile, and they had like the cool font and like those little stripes. Little pinstripes. And, like, yep. I love those Rockets teams too. So <laughs> I struggled with the Rockets for a while. I'm not gonna lie. It, it took. Yeah, besides till, that's, it took till Yao and Van too. Gundy got there for me to be like, okay, like I like you now. Um, <laughs> I held. I held it against them for a while, but yeah. Um, Steve Francis always remember Steve Francis hopping on the table at the scorer's table in Washington because <laughs> yeah. for five minutes the Knicks were the eighth seed <laughs> and and yeah things have changed he had a great article at the Players Tribune too he did yeah he did have a good one yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems like a good dude yeah yeah um, so got Golden State coming tomorrow which I'm sure will be exciting if nothing else and then the Knicks travel to Houston Thursday and Boston on Saturday. Um, I'm sure things will happen. And when they do, we'll be back and we'll be here to discuss that with you guys also. So on behalf of Stacey Patton, this is Matthew Miranda saying thank you. Uh, and we will talk to you again in a while. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.